Thank you to those who led us and also to our techies. No one ever thanks the techies. Do you notice that? So thank you to you guys as well for, for helping us out this morning. Um, thank you for inviting me to share. As uh, Colin mentioned, I currently serve part of my life as a pastor at First Baptist Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. Lethbridge is about two and a half hours south of Calgary. Um, interesting city, university town, um, college town, uh, Anyway, interesting place. Been there for 10 years. The other parts of my life, I teach uh, um, an education course here most summers. I think every summer now for the last few years, so I'm thankful for that opportunity. And I also teach geography um, online, too, which may seem rather strange, but that's a whole other story. This Renaissance idea, you know, that we can do, we don't have to just specialize in something is a good thing. So um, I kind of feel like I'm home because I've known Rob Patterson for 25 years, we figured. And he actually comes from the same town, Tawasson, B.C., that I grew up in, but he's much older than I, so I didn't know him back then. Just had to get that dig in. And Gary, I've known for 27 years, I think, Gary. So um, I have to be careful what I say because they know the truth. Uh, I'd, I'd like to share a little personally this morning for a couple of reasons. Um, sharing personally may seem a little bit self-indulgent or it may seem make you uncomfortable because you may know me more than you want to know me. But I think also there's a an honesty and integrity that comes as we share personally. The courses I'm, the course I'm teaching this week is on education, and one of the things we've been talking about is the fact that we can teach a lot of things, but if people don't see us living those things out in our lives, they often don't mean a whole lot. And there needs to be that transparency where we actually live what we teach, and people learn as much from how we actually conduct ourselves as those who seek to follow the way of Christ, as they may from our words. Um, I'm going to start more recently and then move back a little bit. Two and a half months ago on Facebook, uh, there were some disturbing things showing up. Um, I'm on Facebook mostly because to keep track of anyone in my congregation under about 30, I need to be on Facebook. So there's this, this comment about this young man and an accident. And so I probed it a little further. And what had happened was... Uh, our church is, with, with five other churches, sponsors a Christian camp. And two of the young adults who had been key leaders of that camp had gone over to New Zealand to work at a camp there for the winter. Um, being Canadian, they turned on to the right-hand side of the road into the path of an oncoming truck. And one of the young men from Pincher Creek, just down the road from us, was killed instantly. Um, the other young lady was seriously injured. So our youth group was dealing with this trauma of how do they come to terms with the fact that these two young people whom they dearly loved as leaders at their camp um, had been involved in this tragic accident. And as pastors and leaders in the church, we wrestled with, what do you say? How do you deal with it? That's when you kind of wish you weren't a pastor in some ways, and you wish you lived off in a cabin in the woods because... There's nothing you can say. Uh, since then, um, two dear friends of mine, Wayne and Marie, have both died. Um, I've been there for 10 years now, and I was saying to Rob before the service, and I've said to others, the problem with being a pastor in a church more than about three years is that everyone in my church are now my kids. And so I have about 350 or 400 kids. Some of them are much older than me, but when one of them suffers, it's like one of my children is suffering. I have a hard time doing a funeral now and not choking up myself because it's so personal, because these are my friends. Um, so that's just part of where I'm at recently. Going back a little bit, um, 15 years ago, 
I was uh, carrying on life fairly normally with three preschool kids and started having a pain in the side of my face. Um, I ended up, it was crippling. I, there were some mornings I could barely get up and function. Uh, being very stupid and stubborn, I never took a Sunday off. I preached sometimes sitting down because I couldn't physically stand. I wasn't strong enough to stand. I ended up seeing all sorts of specialists. We were living in Edmonton at the time, so there's all sorts of health resources available. Ended up getting every test under the sun. In true Albertan fashion, it took me 11 months to get into an MRI. Um, if I had $1,000, I could have gone the next day, but I didn't have $1,000, so uh, you wait. Um, they ruled out all sorts of nasty things. Um, the worst thing ever was a spinal tap. If you've ever had a spinal tap, oh, don't if you can avoid it. Um, but that ruled out MS, which was a good thing. They ended up diagnosing me with a condition called atypical facial pain. <laughs> which if you know medical lingo says atypical means it's only on one side of your face. It's facial and it's pain. It's a nice descriptor, but it says absolutely nothing. Um, the neurologist I work with in Calgary now deals with all of us in southern Alberta, Calgary and south, all three of us. It's a very rare condition. Consequently, no one does any research on it because <laughs> there's not enough demand, essentially. Um, but what it is, basically, is I have a constant... It's not like neurology that comes and goes. I have a constant pain in the side of my face, and I've had it for 15 years. Um, it annoys me. It drives me crazy. I've asked all sorts of deep theological questions about why. I've prayed for, for healing. I've had people pray for me for healing. I've been anointed with oil and all sorts of things, and it's still there. Um, at one Alpha a closing sort of celebration in our church, I was sharing my story, and I was saying that, one, that you know there's actually some good things that have come out of this. One is, is that I have a whole lot more compassion now for people who are in pain, because I live in pain. And I've discovered there's a whole world of people who actually live with pain that I was totally unaware of before, which is interesting. Secondly, um, it's opened some doors of ministry and opportunity that I never would have had before. We had a young man in our congregation who had a pain um, in his sinuses. It ended up being, long story cut short, is it ended up being a tumor. Um, he was dying at home. And uh, one night, about one in the morning, his wife called and said, Bruce, you need to come. Uh, this fellow had always been meaning to get baptized and never actually got around to getting baptized because, you know, he was going to get stronger, he was going to get better, etc. And uh, you could tell that he just wasn't doing very well. So I asked his wife, Danita, to go to the kitchen and just get a glass of water. And as we sprinkled the water and prayed for him, he died. But what opened the door of ministry for him was the fact that even though our pain was completely different, the fact that I knew pain created a bridge to minister to him that wouldn't have existed otherwise. The other thing about being in pain is I've learned to pray a whole lot more. Because when you can't physically stand to preach a sermon Sunday morning, the only option you have is to pray. And so in some ways I call it the best friend I love to hate because it keeps me honest with the Lord and often with other people. Uh, it's my barometer if I'm stressed, if I'm working too hard, if I'm watching too many late-night hockey games, the pain level goes up. I find professional sports is actually very bad for me because I get wrapped up in it, and it's, it's actually stressful when you care who wins. And my unfor unfortunately, I have a habit of backing teams like the Edmonton Oilers, the San Francisco 49ers, the Oakland Raiders, the, Edmont the Edmonton Oilers, teams that lose a lot. So it's a very stressful life. 
So I just don't watch as much sports as I used to. But anyway, at this one alpha final thing, I was sharing a little bit of my story and some of the blessings that I've actually experienced through the pain. And this one person afterwards took me aside and said, you know, you don't have enough faith. And he was quite serious. He says, you know, if you had enough faith, you would pray and you would be healed. You know what? Maybe that's true. But I think it almost takes more faith to live with the pain than if I prayed and the pain disappeared instantly. And you may disagree with me, and that's okay. But if, if the pain were to suddenly disappear, it'd be very easy for me to drift back into my old ways where I'm very much in control of my own life, and I forget to pray, and I forget to spend time with the Lord. But that nagging pain is a constant reminder to me of how much I need the Lord. There's a lot of mystery associated with all of this. And I guess the older I get, and I'm, my kids keep reminding me that I am getting older, I don't know why, because they're getting older, but I'm not. Um, we're not old. No. But uh, the, the more experience I get, we'll put it that way, the more I realize that there's an incredible amount of mystery to life, that there are no easy answers, but that as a pastor and as a person and as a friend, what people simply need is for me to be there. I don't need to provide answers. I don't need to say anything. They simply need me there often to put my hand around their shoulders and to walk with them through the dark places through which they go. Sometimes, you know, Christianity is presented through rose-colored glasses that, you know, if you become a Christian, all of a sudden, everything in life is going to be good. It'll be like, you know, walking through the tulips for the rest of your life. I don't know too many people for whom that's actually true. And sometimes, coming to faith and walking with Jesus, life becomes more complicated and more difficult. It certainly did in my relationship with my parents. The reality is, is that sometimes life does become harder. Um, one religious educator said, you know, Christian ed education is at its best when it helps people deal with the crucial issues of personal and social life in light of the gospel. That what we're really about in terms of educating people when it comes to the Christian faith is we're helping people deal with those really hard issues of life in the light of the gospel, knowing that Christ walks with them and we stand with them through those difficult times. It's not so much about teaching great theology. I'm getting trouble with the theologians here. It's not so much about teaching wonderful biblical studies, although those are all great. It's about bringing all that wisdom and those great disciplines to focus on the real issues of life and helping people understand life in terms of the good news that God is their loving Heavenly Father, that Christ is their brother who walks with them, and the Holy Spirit is there to fill them and guide them and help them through those difficult times. Sometimes we know a lot of things. But what's more important is probably that we've actually learned them, that we've allowed those truths to sink into our being and to shape how we actually live and walk in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, there's some trivial challenges that come. I remember once um, I was an associate pastor at this church, and uh, I, I, I wrote a weekly column for the local newspaper. And uh, I used a story from C.S. Lewis in this column. And C.S. Lewis tells this story of... He says, think about a really nice young man. And th th these are his words. Think about a cantankerous old maid. Who's the Christian, he asks. And he says, you really can't tell. 
Because he says, maybe the young man, nice young man, isn't a Christian, but think about how much nicer he'd be if he were a Christian. And he said, maybe the cantankerous old maid is a Christian, but think about how much more cantankerous she'd be if she weren't. So I, I used this in the newspaper and sort of did a bit of a reflection on it. Sunday afternoon, I get a phone call from dear Miss So-and-so, an old lady living alone. She rips into me one side and up down the other. How dare you write an article about me? I didn't mention any names. It was just, I thought it was a cool story. So, we, so Monday morning, I trot into the senior pastor's office and said, Malcolm, you know, this is what happened. And he just sort of sits back in his chair and says, you know, if the shoe fits. You know, and some of life's problems are that trivial. They're really not that big. But then you have the big issues. You have the pain. You have the young man who's tragically killed in a car accident. You have Wayne, who, whose cancer suddenly reappeared after five years and who dies in a lot of pain and agony. You have those hard things, and those are the mysteries where we often find God most present. I wanted to read a little bit from the book of Job, which is a book we sometimes skip over because we don't really know what to do with it. Um, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, um, just interesting, from a, I can say this because I'm not in a Baptist environment, it's interesting that that was considered normal. I'm I don't know how many Baptists would appreciate the fact that feasting and drinking is normal, but anyway. Um, at the older brother's house, uh, this will get back to my church and I'll be in trouble. A message came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. Then they put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. And when he was still speaking, yet another messenger, this is a bad day, came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking at the oldest brother's house again when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they're dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Do you ever have days like that? I've sort of had a winter, spring like that. And to top that off, in Alberta, the weather's been cold and miserable and yucky and, yeah, you just sort of feel like the world is closing in. And this is Job's response. At this, Job got up tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. There's a lot of mystery in being able to simply accept the fact that, yeah, life is like that sometimes. The pain is real. But somehow in that pain, God is actually at work. Another Christian educator once said, learning begins when I'm jarred from the place where I am now. Learning begins when I'm jarred from the place where I am now. And sometimes it takes that jarring for us to really begin to grow and to move. The challenge we've been learning as a church through all of this, because I, I've been sharing personally about my experience with dealing with some of this, we, of course, go through this as a church community as well, is discovering the presence and the grace of God in the midst of all of this pain and suffering.
As a community, we've lost three or four key people this spring. We've seen our youth group go through an incredible amount of pain. And yet, in the midst of it, God has been at work in some amazing ways. I just want to share a little video clip. This is a, a song that you'll probably know fairly well. It was done by a church in, um, in the States using real people with real stories in their congregation. I just encourage you to reflect on it prayerfully and the message that comes through. silent prayer. Hear the word of the Lord. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest shadow, I will fear no evil. For you, you are with me, Lord. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.